You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 855 AM on your dial app or the online stream. My name is Flick Manning and I'm your host. Joining me today is Mimi Kwa. Mimi is an author, TV presenter, mum of four, MC and keynote speaker. Now, when Mimi set out to change the world, journalism was her weapon of choice. She became the first Asian heritage female on Channel 9, anchoring news to 40 countries and interviewing significant decision makers and notable figures from around the globe. Her memoir, House of Kwa, has reached bestseller status and now is in the process of being adapted for television. She has written for publications like SBS and New Idea and has a long list of notable tales about the likes of Chopper Reed, Russell Crowe and Serena Williams from her 20 years in journalism. Mimi, welcome to the show. That's a beautiful introduction. Thank you. Well, well done on everything that you're doing. I'm so excited to talk to you, Mimi. And your life and family history is so incredibly interesting and compelling. And so I can't wait to find out even more and share more of your story, particularly as your book has really shed some light on the important aspects of mental health, which are very often overlooked. So we're going to dive into that. Now, you have written this beautiful book, House of Choir. As I mentioned, it's a bestseller. And this book actually talks about your family history. Now, what really stood out for me in reading it both times was how trauma can be passed from one generation to the next. So I was really curious, is this something that appeared to you within the writing process of the book or was it something that inspired you to actually write the book in the first place? Wow, that's a great question. I think a bit of both. I think that when I started writing, or I know that when I started writing, I wasn't writing a book. I was actually journaling to try to process some of the traumas that were occurring or had occurred in my life. And through that journaling, it just became very natural to want to investigate, explore and excavate the family history because I think I've always known somewhere viscerally inside that the interconnectedness that exists between generations and how we turn up now. So I don't know when in my life I came to the realisation or whether it was just always an inherent knowing that who we become is absolutely inescapably, inextricably linked to who our ancestors were and the journey that they have taken and, you know, all of the circumstances, the stories, the um, the traumas, the highs and the lows that have led us to being here now. So in that knowing and that um, drive to explore the family history, I actually reinforced to myself that idea that it is so important to try our best to heal intergenerational trauma in in order to heal ourselves. Is journaling sort of something that you've always done as part of that mental health sort of sustainability and management or was it something that just you really felt driven to pick up at that particular time and then out of that popped the book? I haven't always done journaling, but when I was a young child and then into my teen years, I kept a diary, as many of us did, and that was my form of journaling. And I think that in itself was just a very natural, unconscious yearning to want to purge um, things that had happened 
onto the page in order to process them and heal. So I find it actually beautiful and fascinating that there is that natural urge to want to do that without any scientific or um, motivational explanation around it. It's just something that as children we tend to want to do. We like to write stories, we like to draw, we're creative and we just allow, you know, the universe or creation to just move through us to, you know, create something outside of ourselves which can feel very healing and um, and pleasant to do. So I find that very interesting that that just comes naturally when we're young and then I think through life can and often gets um, beaten out of us. That is, the you know, that is probably one of the saddest aspects of life is that we have to unlearn the unhelpful things that we've learned through life and we have to learn new ways to be because society and culture just doesn't teach us that early on. Mimi, the roots of your family's story and your discovery of it came in the form of a letter. Can you take us through what that moment was like for you and I guess how that immediately affected your mind and your mental health? So I received a letter from my dad and it was a letter that sent my hair grey overnight, actually, because it was a letter that revealed that my dad was suing me in the Supreme Court. And when I opened the letter and it was the documentation that was confirming that he was suing me in the Supreme Court and it said Qua versus Qua and it had all the Supreme Court letterhead on it, I literally just fell in a heap. And it was quite animalistic in a way, like I was groaning I was in like it was like I was grieving and it was out of my control I left my body and I could see myself just crying uncontrollably because it was almost this disbelief it was this disconnect with reality because in reality in my mind fathers don't do that to their daughters and so I had a very hard time accepting the unexpected and and accepting the lack of control that I had in that situation. I really wasn't prepared for that moment. And, you know, as my husband held me and as I cried, I went into almost like a catatonic shock. And I can't even remember going to bed. I remember the out-of-body experience of seeing myself lying on the ground and my husband coming to hold me in his arms. And then the next thing I remember is waking up in the morning and still sort of being in a um, in a cocoon of shock. And I walked into the bathroom and my husband, who's taller than me, he looked down at the top of my head and he said, oh, my goodness, you've gone grey. And I leant into the mirror to have a look and there was this big sprig of grey hair. So like Marie Antoinette, I literally, went grey overnight and I had never had a grey hair before. So it was incredible physiologically what my body was capable of doing as well in that very shocking sort of circumstance. I mean, just what an intense experience. As you said, it's not something that I think anyone would imagine that they would personally go through. But on the back of that, obviously, you then had to take the next steps. You had to actually go through that process. You needed to to go through the, the Supreme Court process and everything else. Doing that, what did it actually teach you, I guess, then about the impacts of generational history? I mean, was it something that you then thought, I've got to actually break the cycle now? Was it an immediate 
obvious idea in your head or were you just very much stuck still in the zone of going through step by step? I think I was always trying to break the cycle, even from when I was a little girl. One thing that I write about in the book and I uncovered as being more important than I had given given it credit for was that my dad was one of 32 brothers and sisters. And so being in a huge family as he was, that was obviously a very different upbringing to what I had had. He was the youngest boy in that family and he, his whole life, must have really craved a mother figure and a father figure because he was so um, low down in the pecking order that um, to get any attention from his biological parents was, um, you know, it was very difficult for him. So that was one thing. But then the other thing was that he lived through the Japanese occupation of Hong Kong during the Second World War. And so he was just a little boy when schools were shut down and he was sent out to work in a factory. So he was young enough that it had a huge impact on his growth and development, but he was old enough that he still remembers it now. So that in itself, just having those vivid memories, me knowing intellectually that, um, you know, we are a product of our conditioning, knowing that how my dad's history and his ancestry had impacted on his unconscious behaviour. And so I think really the difference is, you know, awareness, being unaware and being consciously aware. So for him to have had all of these things occur in his life and in his and in the life of his parents and his grandparents and ancestors and so on, for all of that to occur in his life and him to be completely unconscious of the fact that any of that had influenced his behaviour whatsoever, I just find fascinating because every you know and we're in a new generation we're in a new era there's a big shift towards consciousness now I'm very grateful to be alive when we are alive I just find it fascinating that I'm so consciously aware of every behavior that I exhibit comes from somewhere in my conditioning that I really am just made up of a whole lot of patterns and a whole lot of behavioral patterns that come from somewhere What's really what I'm sort of deriving from what you're talking about, and particularly the way that you are speaking, the language that you're using is that as you've become so incredibly consciously aware, you've developed a lens of compassion about behaviour that has projected certain traumas into your own world, and yet you're able to see it with a lens of compassion and understanding. I think that's the gift that comes from developing that sense of you know, self-awareness in the conscious self of where all of this trauma and where all of these patterns and behaviours come from. Is that something that you feel you had to actively work on yourself or was it just that natural evolution of of that self-awareness bringing you to the place where you can talk about this kind of thing with that lens of compassion? It was a bit of both, the actively working on myself and just that natural propensity and desire to want to have compassion because I wanted to um, I wanted to forgive my father and I actually reached a place beyond forgiveness in understanding the trajectory that he had actually lived. I got beyond forgiveness to gratitude because when somebody is unaware that their behaviour is linked to their conditioning and their forebears, when somebody is unaware of that, you cannot have judgment. You cannot, for me, I could not 
hold him to account when he's unaware and doing the best that he knew how to do. And this really is a, a mantra that we can all embrace is that everybody is just doing the best that they know how to do. I, I just want to say one more thing just about forgiveness. Like I think forgiveness really is the key to unlocking our own suffering. You've gone through this sort of traumatic experience with your father. You've obviously taken the next steps through the Supreme Court, all of the things that have happened there. What were the overall effects on you, I guess, from a mental well-being and a physical well-being point of view throughout that period? I think what it triggered in me was just a consistent um a consistent and concentrated pattern of fight or flight. I was just living in fight or flight from that moment for a very long time. And what it did as well is it opened the box of all of the other things that I'd compartmentalised over my entire life. So I have a great degree of resilience and, you know, you've read my book twice, thank you so much, all of the events that I outline in my book, um, you know, my mum's mental health issues, um, frequent attempts at suicide, growing up as a daughter of um, somebody with um, severe mental health issues, um, different things that had happened to me in childhood, different experiences that I had, all of the trauma just got put in a box somewhere because that was survival. So for me, I compartmentalised a whole lot of different traumatic events but then when my dad sued me the lid came off and all of it came out and that to me was the scariest thing of my life really to have all of the demons unleashed at the same time so it wasn't just that episode with my dad it was so much more than that and and that is why I think I had that animalistic response and that is why I had the out-of-body experience and that is why I went grey overnight because that moment of receiving the news that my dad was suing me, that unlocked a whole lot of stuff that I had really quite happily put away <laughs> for, for my own mental health and well-being, I thought. But then what I've learned since then is and again, this is the gratitude piece coming in. I am so glad that he sued me because it gave me the profound opportunity to be able to face my demons and to be able to sort through all of my past and not only my past, a lot of the family's past that has influenced my journey. It allowed me to do that and arrive at a much more healed place. And I don't think there is any such thing as being healed per se because we are all on a healing journey that never ends it is ongoing work and it's work every day that I do on myself for my mental health but it is a great blessing and a privilege to be able to actually be mindful and be aware of all of the things that have affected me and impacted my behavior to this day and so now I'm able to be of greater service to humanity to my family in my work and, um, and in all of the ways that I choose to be of service consciously, I'm able to do that only because I've embarked on this healing journey. That's absolutely incredible. Now, Mimi, you are a journalist and a writer, as we've certainly touched on. And in some ways, 
I can imagine that you've spent a significant amount of time in your life facilitating the telling of other people's stories. What was that like for you in terms of your mental health from that journalist point of view? And did that in part lay the groundwork then for your ability to tell your own story in the way that you have? Oh, yes, it definitely laid the groundwork for the confidence to be able to tell my own story because my own story is written in a way that some readers contact me and say, oh, I thought that it was a novel. I didn't realise until the end that it was actually a true story. So I've been able to um, or communicate the narrative in a creative way and that definitely comes from my journalism. So what I've always loved since I was a child was listening and hearing other people's stories because I I knew from an early age that people are fascinating. So as a journalist, to be able to be entrusted with telling other people's stories was such a great privilege and the biggest heartache for me was having to cut it back into sound bites. You have to keep it short, short and sweet. So, so interesting. You've obviously spoken to some pretty standout people. I mean, with your experiences, I guess, growing up with mental health around you, with sort of that uh, intergenerational trauma very present in your own upbringing, do you think that allowed you a different lens of understanding or compassion for people, particularly those that may not be perceived as kindly by society broadly? I, Growing up the way that I did, I was... Um, very much um, supported just by the circumstances of my upbringing with my mum who um, was suffering from or living with schizophrenia, with my uh, undiagnosed schizophrenia at the time, you know, with my dad who sort of had narcissistic tendencies and also the fact that I was growing up in a youth hostel with 100 people sleeping over every night. It really did um, create the perfect storm for a little girl who was curious and who loved stories and storytelling. So that cultivated and supported my compassion. And then going into journalism, I think that that compassion really held me in good stead and who I truly am was able to shine through in a lot of circumstances. And the story with Serena Williams just ever so quickly is that when I went to interview her, she was watching the gridiron in her sort of palatial suite at Crown and I was the only television interview that she had granted or that her people had granted while she was here for the Australian Open. Walked in, she was watching the gridiron, she wouldn't speak to me. She was clearly over, you know, media at that stage. And I sat down and I said, hi, Serena, I'm Mimi Kwa from Channel 9, and she just ignored me. And on the spot, I just said to her, what book are you reading at the moment? And she switched off the television and she turned to look at me and she said, no one has ever asked me that question before. And then we had this beautiful half-hour interview and then she gave me a big bear hug and said, Mimi, that was the best interview I've ever done. I've been on Oprah, I've been on Good Morning America, I've been on Letterman, let's go shopping. And so we went shopping together. It was just, it was so amazing. And when I look back on that, I think, you know, it was just my ability. It, it I wasn't trying to manipulate the situation. It was just I saw her as a human being. And I had compassion for her in that circumstance. I put myself in her shoes. You know, I, I thought, gosh, how um, 
how tedious to have to do all of these interviews and have to keep trotting out the same lines. And I just thought, what does she want as a human? What does she want to talk about? And so I and I had noticed that there was a, a few books lying around in her suite and I thought, well, she must be a reader, you know. So I asked her about that and that opened the door to a brilliant conversation and I've been so lucky in my career that I've had lots of opportunities to really connect with people on a very real base, humanistic level and I love doing that. How incredible. What an incredible moment and story I mean you went shopping with Serena Williams but also just your ability I mean as you've described there to just be human to human I think at the end of the day that's what we all want we all want to feel safe seen valued and heard that's kind of the key to everything when it comes to human beings and you obviously did such a beautiful job of that but you also brought up a really interesting point that your mum was living with schizophrenia though undiagnosed I believe at the time how did that sort of manifest and how did that affect I guess what you saw as a child it was very confusing for me growing up because my mum would have delusions um, that people were talking about her. So she would hear voices, as they say, in inverted commas, which, um, you know, was her own narrative and inner monologue, but she was thinking that it was other voices talking to her and it must have been very frightening for her. But as a girl... Um, holding, you know, her mum's hand walking into a supermarket when her mum is saying to her or my mum was saying to me, they want to kill us, we need to get out of here. Because she believed utterly that they were real and really happening, she wanted to protect me. But in that, she was drawing me into that very nasty fantasy world um, of being hunted down really, and and so that luckily didn't cultivate in me a particular paranoia, which it could have. It could very easily have done so because there was a lot of sweeping under the carpet of my mum's condition as well, and so there was nobody really early on who was sitting me down at a very young age and saying, look, you know, this is what your mother's going through, this is how we're supporting her and this is, you know, how are we going to support you? There was nothing like that. It was just let's pretend that it's not happening. And then when I was a bit older, my grandparents did start to say to me things like, and they wanted to protect me too, you know, they did start to say things like, oh, your mum hears voices. But then it was left at that. There was nothing beyond just your mum hears voices. And so that's what I was left with. And then... As I got a little bit older, you know, I started to, I guess I picked up things from culture and society and other people's conversations and um, and often, you know, derogatory remarks about people who were suffering from mental health issues and, you know, and terms like, you know, schizo and, you know, that was, um, and then that was very directly related to my mum's schizophrenia or my perception of what she might be suffering from. She was misdiagnosed as bipolar, had um, electric shock treatment, which was actually devastating for her. And all of the misdiagnosis just led to more brushing the whole thing under the carpet. It wasn't until I was a mother that I thought, I cannot let my children go through what I went through with their now grandmother, my mum. And so I then 
took steps to make sure that she got treatment and got diagnosed. And when the doctors said to me, your mum has chronic and acute schizophrenia and we cannot believe that she has survived this long. So um, just getting to the point where she could have treatment and care. And now that she has had treatment and care, that's transformed her life and the lives of everybody around. As I've been saying, you know, it's just such an incredible, incredible story and incredible life. It's been such a pleasure to hear more about your story, more about your life. I know everyone is going to be very curious about what happens next. Me at the very top of that list. So thank you for your time today. Luke, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Now, as I mentioned, make sure that you get out and you grab a copy of Mimi's book, House of Qua, and keep your eyes peeled for when it comes onto a TV station near you because it's going to be an epic story that then you can enjoy in all sorts of different multimedia formats. Also, thank you so much for tuning into Brainwaves today. As I sign off, please remember, as per usual, that your mental health is of equal importance to your physical health. So if you are yet to do so today, please bring them together in alignment now with a lovely big inhale, big deep exhale, and then remember to shower yourself in the kindness that you so easily give to others. I look forward to chatting with you next time on Brainwaves. If you're wrestling with feelings of anxiety, worry and depression or finding the current social isolation measures hard to deal with, we would like to encourage you to call Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are seeking information about mental health or mental health services or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. If you feel it would be helpful to talk to someone about these issues during this difficult period, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.